It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. Of course, I am your civics teacher, your neighborhood political strategist and host of this show. And I'm so glad that you made it to class this morning. Coming to the front of the class for our full hour together is one of my sister friends, another political strategist with a community organizer background. Seems to be a few of us. I don't think we all know each other, but we generally can do a like less than three degrees of separation. <laughs> she is now the executive director of Black Pack, which is an independent Black-led organization that uses the power of year-round political engagement and elections to change our economic, justice, and political systems. Welcome to the front of the class, Adrian Shropshire. Hi. I, my hands are suddenly sweating the whole coming to the front of the class situation. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, are you like, wait, is it that? Is that me? That she's like, you need someone else come to the front. <laughs> you just want to be in the back. You just want to be in the back. Oh my gosh, Adrian. So, you know, I can't believe I said this before we went live that I can't believe this is the first time you've been on the show in general. I thought I had like all of the girls, like, like in the first two years, I can't believe it's been this long since I have you on. Yeah. I also just feel like we, you know, um, during the pandemic, we obviously haven't seen each other in person or, you know, during the, this entire period, but I feel like we've been on other stuff together. And so, you know, whether it was the sip when the sip was happening. Um, so it feels a little bit like, I've been in this virtual conversation with you a little bit. So yeah, but thank you for having me on. I, I, I obviously love um, the show and love your dedication to it, right? Like your, um, you know, constant contribution to making sure that our community understands what we need to understand um, to, yeah. to not just make our voices heard, but really exercise the power that we know that we have. So thank you. Thank you for having me on and for all this work. No problem. And, you know, I won't even, you know, because of the pandemic, we talk about not seeing each other. You know, you actually left. <laughs> I was like, so long, New York. <laughs> I know. It was good. It's like, everybody's <laughs> leaving me. Like, Jay-Z, and like, they was just like, why y'all leaving me? <laughs> and then I bought a house and I was like, so I'm not leaving. So, yeah, right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, because it is your first time on the show, we start the same way we start with every first time guest by you sharing the story of your first civic action. Wow. Um, so I, um, you know, my, my organizing life, um, began here, uh, in Los Angeles where I moved to, uh, uh, in the aftermath of, uh, the Rodney King, uh, uh, beating verdict. Um, and that's really when I sort of, um, you know, decided that what was most important or the, or the most important contribution um, that I could make would be, you know, in organizing um, our community. But I think probably there, if I think back to my first civic action, 
Um, maybe there's there's two things that I would say, if that's okay. So one um, was, um, you know, I'm from Seattle um, and, uh, you know, um, the Seattle area is home to um, Trident nuclear submarine bases. And when I was in high school, um, uh, there was obviously lots of concern about what that meant having um, those nuclear submarines um, in our vicinity. And there was lots of protests around them. And I didn't totally I understood, you know, in the 80s, right, because there was lots of concern about nuclear proliferation. And we were all worried, right, about what would happen when the first bomb started to fall. And so there was lots of protests. And so my very first, I think, civic action was um, going with the archbishop from our archdiocese um, out to the base at Bangor and, uh, and protesting. Um, so I think that was probably the thing that I felt like, oh, right, you know, you pull people together and you really can. Um, you know, sort of elevate the voices of regular people and their concerns um, and, and, and keep the pressure up because this was a weekly uh, event. Um, so that's one. And then the other that's kind of funny, I think, is when my sister and I were young, we were probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, um, and we were um, uh, visiting my cousins in Inkster, Michigan, um, and we heard that Al Green was having a concert, um, and we were outraged that we didn't have tickets for the Al Green concert. Um, and so we made picket signs, and we had a little protest in the driveway, <laughs> protesting the fact that Al Green had not found a way to get us tickets to his concert. So that was probably my very first sort of civic action. Like we're going to make these picket signs and we're going to get out in the driveway. So that's, that's I, I that you felt entitled to tickets. I should be there. Like, I feel like somebody should take that story and, you know, now flip it to modern time if you do not have Beyonce tickets right now. Because, Listen. like, why? Because why don't we have Beyonce tickets? <laughs> Someone needs to be like, in the driveway somewhere about these And tickets. I could totally see because, so my children don't yet know that I'm going to the Beyonce mm. concert. Mm. And I can very much see, I need to make sure that they do not watch this episode because wow. they watch, my, my seven-year-old watches the show on YouTube. Um, and I post things, so I need to make sure that she doesn't get the <laughs> notification on this one because we're deliberately not telling them until afterwards because mm. anybody got money to buy them Beyonce tickets too? <laughs> like, girl, anyway, you about to be in trouble. <laughs> oh gosh. It's inevitable. Oh my. All right. Let, let's get to <laughs> a real conversation. I want to talk to you about Black Pack, the work that it does. I want to talk to you about political representation versus including political power. I want to talk mm -hmm. about all of those things. So mm -hmm. I'm going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about Black Pack, but then also this question I'm starting to ask my friends about Black representation um, and black political power. So we'll be right back. All 
the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome back to Sunday when Civics. We are, we are in the class this morning with Adrian Shropshire, who is the executive executive director of Black Pack, which is an organization, Black-led organization that focuses on long-term political power, building long-term political power all across the country. So not just in um, one state, I think they are focused in a handful of states. We'll talk mm -hmm. to Adrian about that. So one thing that I like about Black Pack, uh, Adrian, is that it not only organizes Black voters, but speaks to Black voters. Because as you and I know, there are a lot of political organizations that organize Black voters, but they're organizing them to do the things that they want or that they're trying to accomplish and sort of not bringing in Black voters into the conversation from there. Can you talk about the importance of that? Yeah. I mean, when we started Black Pack six years ago now, um, one of the things that felt really important was, and we're, you know, we're a political organization, right? We are, we're a PAC, we're a super PAC, actually. Um, and I know that oftentimes people, um, you know, we ask people all the time when we're, you know, when we're talking to them, you know, what is their perception um, of the super PAC? And generally it is what folks, you know, what, what you hear on the news. It's, you know, these organizations and they take money and they, you know, run these commercials for, um, for uh, candidates and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, politicians um, and no one really knows who they are and that sort of thing. And what I always say is, yes, that is one, that is certainly how, you know, post Citizens United, right? We have come to understand super PACs. But we're different, right, in that for us, it is not about centering a candidate. It is actually about centering Black people, right? It is about uh, talking directly to Black people. It is about going out into our neighborhoods. Um, it is about, you know, um, uh, thinking about polling, right, which lots of people do polling, but thinking about how are, we, how are we polling and doing research about Black voters specifically and all the time, right? Um, not just when we feel like, you know, like we might lose a race and so we want to know what Black people think. Like, we want to know what Black people think all the time. And whether that is doing sort of the traditional formal polling or it is knocking on doors and doing surveys across the country to get people's feedback um, on what is happening in the world to, to take stock and get a sense of how people understand the issues that are impacting our community, um, to get a sense of how people understand the changes um, in election laws that are happening in different states. Do people know? Um, are people aware? Um, what's their plan um, if they if they feel like they're going to be impacted by changes and shifts in, in election laws? Um, what can we start to do early to make sure um, that they're able to cast their ballots? So um, for us, it is it is fundamentally about making sure that we are engaged, that we understand our role uh, in this democracy, um, and that we bring people um, to the table, both for election day, right? Because we understand that elections are important, and we know what happens when our community doesn't participate. But at the end of the day, um, we participate in elections 
so that we can move policy, right? So that we can get people into decision-making roles so that they can move the policy and, and pass the laws that are gonna be important to advancing um, our community's interests. Um, and obviously, you know, securing democracy and all of the things that we suddenly realized um, were not secure. Um, so that's why we participate in elections. It's for election day, but it's also for the day after election day when the real work starts and, and, and the issues that we've been talking about for months and months and months on end actually need to get done. They need to get implemented. They need to get passed through legislatures, whether it's the federal level or the, or the state level. And for all of that, we have to be talking to people, right? We have to be engaging them. We need to make sure that they understand what's happening. Um, and that's really important. And obviously we find oftentimes that folks are overwhelmed by information. And so being able to sort it through, right, whether it's on the doors or it's in a virtual, you know, town hall um, is really important and helpful uh, to, to, to folks who really want to participate. Yeah. So one, in introducing Black Pack, right, you talk about it being a super pack, and we've talked about that on the show before, is how we can use PACs to educate, inform, mobilize our communities around issues that we care about. Yes, there are also people who do this around issues that we're fighting against. And certainly the Citizens United case, which has upheld some of the, what is called dark money, which means that people can make contributions to super PACs without their identity being revealed. And that's sort of one of the aspects that a number of people are fighting against. But at the same time, while it is law, right, it's not illegal, while it is law, you can use things to your advantage and to your community's advantage. Uh, one of the other, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say that's right. And to be, to, you know, to be clear, if you, you know, I think that there is, um, uh, there also is this uh, sense that, um, you know, we, that for our community, right, there are certain kinds of organizations that, that we should have, right? Mm -hmm. And there are other kinds of organizations that we shouldn't utilize um, to our benefit. And I think that um, really for the kinds of challenges that our community is facing, we need to have all forms of organization, right? We need to be using every tool um, in our toolbox um, to make sure that we are advancing, and particularly sort of, you know, we are, we're in a very different and in, in, in a very challenging moment, right, in the country. Um, and so every tool that we can utilize, we need to be utilizing. Yeah, because I've seen, I've read some of the, I don't want to say criticism, because I don't think it's levied in terms of that way where somebody's outside Black Pack picketing. But I've said, you know, I have seen commentary around you know, both Black Pack and other Black-led or people of color-led organizations who use those strategies that we on the left or progressive side have determined as bad or, right. at, you know, being saying, well, you can't call them bad practices and also participate them participate them at the same time. But there are things that you can do where it's legal, but there might be different strategies you use that are different than say people who are using that, using those tools in a divisive or a demeaning way. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, you know, and also like, so if, if you make a contribution to Black Pack right now, your name is going to show up on an FEC report, right? Like it, it's actually, it's, it's not, uh, uh, you know, going into, you know, some secret vault that no one's going to know that you gave money. 
your name is in a public document that the government right. has, you know, put out there to say who here's who was given to Black Pack. Um, right. So I think that that's I think that that's one. I also think that um, that you know um, we the purpose of this is about for us, right? The purpose of of building utilizing PACs or utilizing C fours, right? Which is the other sort of nonprofit. Um, status organization that can do some political work, um, but also have a primary purpose, right, that isn't political. Um, you know, we build these organizations um, for the purpose of advancing progressive ideas and, and advancing issues um, that are important to our community, be it, uh, you know, uh, gun control or equitable education or access to healthcare, like all of the issues that we care about, um, these organizations are built for the purpose of making sure um, that we have a place, all of us collectively, to fight for those things um, and not to destroy them, right? And I think that this is part of, your, to your point, we see a lot of organizations <clears throat> um, from, from folks that are, you know, in opposition to us that are using these kinds of organizations to roll back rights, right, to undermine um, our, you know, most fundamental um, citizenship rights, um, you know, to really sort of break down um, the fabric of our democracy. And, and obviously, that is, a, um, uh, that is a nefarious, you know, use of what should be vehicles for democratic participation. Right, right. So the other piece that Black Pack does is you do long-term strategy, long-term work, and even in, quote, off years, although you and I both know there really aren't any off years. <laughs> but what is Black Pack doing now in preparation for the next big election cycle, which is 2024? And again, saying all that to say, knowing that there are municipal and local elections that are happening right now. So Black Pack does this on a national level, although you focus your work in a handful of key states, right? Mm -hmm. Georgia, Pennsylvania, place, Wisconsin, I think, and, you know, places mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah. But for smaller and local political organizers and organizations listening, what are, in your mind are things that they can be doing now to engage their communities it could be around the local municipal elections that are happening or state elections but you know there's going to be greater attention once we get to 2024 election cycle there's going to be more people paying attention because of the greater attention and we just generally have greater turnout in general mm -hmm. around elections that coincide with presidential elections and that's what 2024 is coming up so from, you know, be a strategist to a local group, right? And, yeah. you know, what are some tactics and things that they should employ or be thinking about now in preparation for 2024? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it, the, there's a reason why we're doing this sort of focus on the base stuff right now, right? And it's, it, it is both that, you know, the thing that you just said, which is accurate, which is as we get closer, there's just going to be a lot of attention and a, a lot of noise in, in some cases. Um, and so for, for us, you know, sort of breaking, um, preparing people before we get to that noise is really, really important. Um, and so if I were, if I were working with, you know, one of our partners on the ground um, in any state, right, what, one of the things that I would say is to start to do um, that 
outreach and communication with folks right now for, for two reasons. One is, and, and, and to do the door knocking, right? Um, that I know that, that uh, you know, all of our partners are doing on a regular basis, uh, but reaching out to folks to, to um, you know, engage them on the local issues that are uh, happening, right? So whether it is, you know, um, a local policy, right, that the organization might be working on um, or, you know, uh, an immediate sort of crisis that's happening in the community um, that people need to be aware of and be involved in. So trying to localize what's happening so that um, folks feel like they have the ability to have impact. Um, but doing that outreach, helping people to understand, you know, one of the things that I know that we find is that when we're knocking on doors, um, people often will say, I'm really concerned about voting rights, right? I'm really concerned about voter suppression. Um, and sometimes they are aware of their local, um, the local challenges um, in, in their community in terms of efforts to, you know, remove drop boxes and, you know, uh, uh, take people off the rolls, but oftentimes they're not, right? They are talking about voter suppression that they're hearing about in other states. And so one of the things that's important, I think, for people to be doing right now is to really be talking about voter suppression and voting rights and helping walk their communities through what is and isn't happening um, across the country, what is and isn't happening in their state, what is and isn't happening in their in their um, local community, because it is a, you know, it is a top three issue for Black voters in all of our polling, right? It is always a top three issue concern. Um, and it's a thing that we should um, address. I also think that, again, I, this civics, this notion of civics and how we're helping people understand um, not just, you know, how they can participate or how they can be active, but the actual mechanics um, of how our government works is really, really important. The role that elections play, et cetera, um, is important. I, I always think back to um, a focus group that we did, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago now. Um, and it was a focus group with, um, with Black men in all different age ranges. Uh, and so there was uh, a couple of, uh, of, of men in the group, younger men, who were basically like, I don't, this doesn't matter, voting doesn't matter, um, and I don't really see how it affects me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and a, an older gentleman, Black man, said, you know, let me break this down for you in terms of what it means for me and why, our, why I participate. And so we sort of gave them this, you know, this personal story, right, about why it matters and why it should matter to our community. And the thing that struck me was that the young, one of the young men who had been saying it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, suddenly said, you know, um, I'm just talking mess. <laughs> um, he said, I'm, I'm in, he said, part of what I'm feeling right now is embarrassment. I don't like, I didn't know any of that, that, you know, that the, the older man had just said to him, he said, I didn't know any of that. Um, I don't really understand, you know, what you guys have been saying. Like I thought I did, but you all are saying things that are new to me. Um, and I feel bad. And, you know, the, my response to feeling bad is just to say that it doesn't matter. Um, and he, you know, he talked about, he literally used the word shame. Um, he said, I'm ashamed that I don't know. And so I think that sometimes we talk about apathy and we talk about people in our community being apathetic. We talk about um, young people being apathetic. Um, and the reality is that 
people are trying to understand, right? Both what is happening, the mechanics of what's happening um, in our local communities across the country. Um, and we need to be having a collective community conversation instead of sort of, you know, throwing out terminology like, well, you're just apathetic, right? We don't know if people are apathetic or if they're embarrassed or ashamed because of their lack of knowledge. Um, and we need to have grace for people. Uh, and so I think that one of the things that, that organizers can be doing is making sure that they're breaking stuff down um, for people in our community, making sure uh, that they're demystifying, right, uh, concerns about how we participate and um, what it means to participate and the potential impact that we can have. We need to be breaking that stuff down for our community because I think a lot of people aren't participating precisely because they don't know how to ask or they don't know where to go um, to get the information that they need to be able to be as powerful and, and as impactful as they can. And we need to create space for that. Yeah, I definitely agree, which is one of the <laughs> reasons for this show, right? So I want to step back and get some definitions here because I realize that I might have been using these same things with the expectation that everybody knows what I'm talking about. And partly because we're both using this phrase or, or this, we're saying the base or oh, yeah. our base. Yeah. What does that mean? So for, you know, broadly, it is the, the constituency that, that you feel like is most important. You as an, an organization, right? If I'm an organization, um, the, it is the, the constituency or the group of people that I feel like is, has the ability to make um, you know, significant change, right? That, that uh, collectively uh, can make um, decisive change, right? And that change might be around issues or policy, or it might be, uh, you know, in an election. And so for Black PAC, obviously our base is Black voters, right? Our, our, our base is Black people um, of all genders, of all um, uh, ages, right? Of all socioeconomic status, it is, it's, it's black people. Um, and so for us, you know, you talked about the states that, that we're in, that we're not everywhere, right? We're not in every state. Um, we're in states where we feel like black people can be decisive um, in elections if we are organized and we exercise our power. Um, but when we talk about base building, we're talking about reaching out to that cons those constituencies that we feel like really it's really important that they get active and that they get involved um, and bring them into the space and help them to be advocates um, for themselves um, in, their, in their community. Other people have different bases, right? Um, yeah, but that's our base. because it depends, and it depends, and it, it can also be geographic. It can be, right, you know, for those of you in your local community, if you're talking about your, you know, county, you're like, okay, Black people in this particular county, I'm targeting, or I'm talking targeting by age, right? Um, you know, I'm taking Brooklyn NAACP through. We're organizing beginning this spring and doing some of that door knocking and engagement and organizing in taking, you know, our membership through. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have particular targets. We're doing this community area. We're targeting this age group. We're targeting, you know, people who are disconnected or have a pattern of, or lack of consistent voting, right? So like that becomes the base of people that you are engaging with or having a conversation with. Okay. So I just wanted to make that clear for folks because if even if you're new to like, you don't have a political organization or a political home, but you wanted right. political organizing, you have to have that in mind and view of like, who am I speaking to? Who will be right. the, the and, it, and it could be the base doesn't have to be individual people. Your base might be yep. your church, right? It yep. might be your congregation. It might be your, um, 
uh, your fraternity or sorority. It might be your, you know, your um, uh, professional organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's a, like, it is, it's depending on what you're trying to do and who you feel like it's, you know, is most important to be involved in the work that you're doing. Right. Absolutely. So earlier you mentioned Black Packs, one of the tactics you do is besides door knocking, you know, focus groups, a number of those. Black Pack does a heavy focus on polling and speaking to Black voters in, in that medium a lot. And mm. political polling itself has been controversial, as you mentioned, and as we who follow this conversation know over the past decade, I think there's a discussion and a debate about impact that polling has on the political process. You and I have either from an organizing perspective or electoral politics perspective, know how much a bad or a good poll can impact, you know, voters yeah. believability about an issue, you know, or a candidate. What is different about how Black PAC polls and what impact is, does that have on the work that you all are doing? Yeah, I mean, the difference between what we're doing and what we often see, you know, in, the, you know, the New York Times or, on, you know, in the Washington Post is that we're not just polling the horse race, as they say, right? We're not mm. just polling, you know, do you prefer this candidate or that candidate, right? We right. certainly ask those questions because it matters and we want to know where our people are, right? Like, where are we on, you know, we, you know, during the Democratic primary in 2019, we wanted to know where people were on the candidates, right? So um, we certainly do that. But what we're trying to understand more so is what are the opinions, right? What are the attitudes, right, of folks in our community about what's happening, right, in the country, about politics, about the election? Um, we want to understand what issues are most important um, to our community, right? We want um, to understand what people see as barriers to their participation. We wanna know if you're, you know, a, a, um, uh, a, a voter who doesn't have that consistency, right, in voting, we wanna understand why that is. Um, we wanna understand, you know, are you paying attention to what's happening in the country? And if you are, where are you getting your information from, right? Who are you listening to, right? Um, and some of that is about, you know, trying to make sure that we understand, um, uh, that, you know, how people are receiving misinformation and disinformation, but it's also because we want to know where people are listening to stuff so that we can go talk to them there, right? Um, so we're trying to find out a whole range of things, and then we're trying to compare, um, are these things different among different, um, uh, you know, uh, constituencies within the Black electorate, right? Like the Black electorate is, is broad. So um, are the issues that matter to um, Gen Z the same issues that matter to um, the legacy uh, generation, right? Um, are the top issue concerns for, um, you know, Black folks with an immigrant background, are those the same issues that are of concern for uh, uh, Black Americans, right? So we're trying to make a lot of comparisons. Um, do, you know, are Black men really you know, not engaging at the same level as they were before. Like we're trying to understand those things both so that we can say, actually, that's not true, right? When it comes out in the, when the, a narrative starts to evolve, like the narrative that has emerged around black men recently, we want to be able to say, actually, that's not true. Uh, but we also want to be able to know for ourselves, like where, where do we need to do the work, right? Is there, is it, is a trend emerging that says that 
this set of black voters is starting to feel, you know, some kind of way, right, about our elections or about, you know, participation so that we can then go and have very specific and direct conversations with that set of people. Um, so that's how we use polling. We, yeah, of course, we want to know about how people think, what people think about the, you know, the different candidates. But we also are trying to figure out, like, we we want to, we want to, you know, I'm black, uh, but that doesn't mean that I think I know every single thing that every black person thinks, right? And so, um, and the only way to know that is to is to is to try and you know both have the conversations and do the research that that's required to be respectful right, of, of our community and of our, um, of our community's opinions about what's happening in the world. Yeah, I remember when for Higher Heights, I did this, we did the project during Obama's, I think it was the first midterm election. And we were polling in Ohio and in Georgia, mm. polling Black women, you know, specifically. And it was the first time I had the ability to have influence and control over what questions were being asked, yeah how they were being asked yeah. and particularly the people that we were dialing into like the universe where the universe yeah. is like the people that you're contacting and it shed light to me right like you know before then i was just focused on you know they need to talk call more black people to be part of these conversations right mm -hmm. but it also matters in terms of the questions that you're asking and the way in which the questions are asked, yes. because you and I know, depending on age, depending on the method by which you're contacting a person and, you mm -hmm. know, all of those different kinds of things, it can be different in, yes. you know, so asking me something, asking you something versus asking our parents something, right. you know, how will they, will they be forthcoming? Will they say what they think you, they want you to yes. know like what you know mm -hmm. so there's differences and nuances in that aspect yes. that I don't think I'm sure pollsters take classes on it right but like there's a different level when you're immersed in the culture and immersed in the people in yes. well if I want to know this this is the way I should ask the question that's right I mean I think there's but there's there's the way that we ask questions is the type of questions that we ask like most people weren't literally I mean you know before we always ask black people for example um, how, what what they think about racism in the country, right? And and part of that is of us trying to um, understand again, like what the top issue concerns are for folks, because it means that if you're running for office and Black people's top issue concern is racism, and you decide you're not going to talk about it, then what you, you can't actually expect black people to be like yes that's my that's my person right because you're not addressing the concerns the top concern that, that they have lots of people don't ask that question right so you know you'll ask a question to black people and you'll and you'll leave out racism discrimination the rise of white supremacy and then say oh well black people just care about these three things right inflation healthcare and education right and those that might be right but there, but it it actually leaves out a, a very serious concern that Black folks have about what is happening in our country, but also the impact that it has on them. In the last poll that we did, we just saw an incredible increase in you know the number of Black people who are you know scared, worried about experiencing a hate crime right? Um, because of the, the environment um, that we have in our country right now. The other thing that I would say to your point, um, Eljoy, about the kinds of questions you ask and how you ask them 
is the, uh, is the other side of this equation. And so one of the things that's also clear to me with, the po with pollsters or uh, polling that we see is that people often don't actually know how to interpret the data that they get from Black people, right? So Black people tell you something and you misinterpret what it is that they're saying. And so that's one of the things that I feel like, like so when you have culturally competent pollsters, one of the things that, that they provide or can provide is, is the context right, that um, for why and how, right, responses are happening, may be happening, um, you know, in, in the data, the types of responses uh, that, that may be happening in the data. There is an interpretation that has to happen um, that is, that's culturally specific. Um, and so it's the reason why it's important that we have, uh, you know, Black pollsters like Cornell Belcher, right, that have a lot of experience working across a wide range, right, of um, with a large range of organizations, um, because it's important for us to, you know, not just like ask the right questions, but it's also important that we are not misinterpreting on the back end um, and, and, you know, potentially um, contributing to a narrative that just isn't accurate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take our final break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about this political representation mm -hmm. and political power conversation. We'll be right back. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me? Of me? How could you see your life was the Adrian Shopshire from Black Pack. Thank you, Adrian. I'm just going to say thank you in advance for making time to talk to me. And hopefully you'll be back for us to talk about more goodness that is going on in our people's lives and how we flex our political power. And I want to talk about flexing that political power, you know, partly because I'm in New York and I'm a little frustrated about where we are, mm -hmm. uh, but also just magnifying this on a national level. Right now, we have sort of the largest delegation in the Congressional Black Caucus ever, I think. We have Black mayors representing, you know, some of the biggest U.S. cities. You know, you can go down in state legislatures and others and see we're having greater representation in terms of elected representation. Not to say that we've made gains overall, because we still ain't got, you know, I think it's just Tim Scott. <laughs> like over in the Senate, <laughs> right? That's, I mean, it's certainly a representation of some aspects of our community, but it's not a, like, obviously not like not a lot. So, you know, we have this greater representation in terms of appearance, mm -hmm. right? But in sitting with some of our elders, sitting with some of our elders here in New York who remember the beginnings of Black caucuses and state legislatures and things of, uh, and remember the beginnings or, or at least are able to recall the beginnings of the CBC and others, mm -hmm. right? They were smaller in terms of representation, but had such a bigger impact, right? They can tell you stories of holding up budgets, holding up in order to move things forward. And now we have this greater representation and also leadership and seniority. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in terms of our political power? Yeah. 
So, I mean, obviously representation matters, right? Um, it is, it's important for a whole host of, of reasons. And I think that when we, you know, when we're talking to, to people, we're talking to voters, um, they're, they, they want to be, they want to see themselves, right, um, in these positions of power. Um, they believe that having uh, diverse representation um, means that, you know, issues will be addressed that go often overlooked, right? Um, it means that voices will be in the room to raise questions and raise issues and, you know, be additive um, to the conversation because of their life experience. Um, and so it, it matters, you know, that we are seeing these record numbers, right, of Black women, for example, running for office. That's all the things that you said, the you know, uh, four largest cities um, in the country run by black mayors, all different, <laughs> all very different mayors. Very different. <laughs> um, but that, you know, all of those things matter, you know, uh, the, you know, having a black woman on the Supreme Court, you know, having um, the vice president of the United States, right, um, be a black woman, all of those things still matter. Um, or, or matter, I would say, not just still, but matter, you know, a lot to our community. But at the end of the day, I think you're right. The question is um, really about what is the impact that we're having and are we able to actually advance the, the kinds of issues and, and um, the kinds of policies and have conversations about, you know, uh, resources and where they're going and all those kinds of things. Um, that is really where the where the the rubber hits the road. Um, and I, you know, and we certainly can say that we've seen, you know, there are there are examples of, um, you know, our our ability to uh, influence um, the kinds of policies that you know matter to our community. Um, and I and I and certainly over the last couple of years, we've had some major disappointments, right? Particularly. Um, uh, at the federal level. Um, one of the things that I, I, maybe I want to try and tie the, the, the previous conversation to this one, which is this, this, this conversation about base building and making sure that we're engaging our community, providing vehicles and ways for people to, to participate and advocate. Um, because, you know, there is a disconnect sometimes um, when we elect people to represent us, right? Whether they are from our community or not, right? There is often there is oftentimes times a disconnect between electing them and then holding them accountable to what we elected them to do, right? And we just have to be better, I think, as a community in tying those two things together, right? And sometimes, and then and and understanding that when we elect people, whether they are our friends, right, or not, we have an obligation to stay in the fight with them. Right, like I know we, you know, oftentimes you'll hear people use the, um, the term co-governance. Right, it is you know the the people that we elect in relationship, uh, you know, in a real um, partnership. I guess I would say with the voters that put them in. Right, and so um, whether the the term co-governing is accurate or not, certainly what is true is that we have to support. Um, in the, you know, in, the, in a positive sense, right? If we're trying to be positive about all of, all of this and making sure our friends do what we need them to do, we need to support them once they are in office. Um, and sometimes we don't do that, right? We elect them and we're like, hey, 
you know, you got it, right? We did the turnout work to make sure you get an office. You know, God bless, Godspeed, right? Um, and that's a lot to put on individual people. It's a lot to say to individual people, you know, hey, we, we got you elected, now you handle it, right? Um, we actually have to stay in those fights with them. And so um, there is this, you know, the question of accountability and how are we holding people accountable once they're elected? And there's also, and that's the sort the, the, the more sort of like, um, you know, maybe a little bit harsher way of thinking about it, right? This, uh, because accountability can mean like some real stuff, like we need to be in your face, right? Um, there's also the other side of it, which is uh, figuring out what we can do to make sure that for the things that we need, know that we need folks to get done, that we are figuring out our side, right? So if we're the outside game, right? How are we figuring out what we need to do to make sure that folks have cover? to get the work done that we need for them to, to get done. Now, I always think about um, Karen Bass, who is now Mayor Bass um, here in Los Angeles, when she was Speaker um, of the uh, Assembly, the California Assembly uh, back in the day. Uh, that was one of the things that she would always say is, we know that things need to get done, you know, me and my colleagues here in Sacramento, um, but you all need to come up here and make us do it. Right? Like you, you, it's important to demonstrate that we're not lone voices out here, right? Saying like, we think, you know, that this needs to be done or my constituency wants this done. People need to see the constituency demanding that it be done. So we need to, we need to do um, in some cases a better job of making sure that we are connecting the process of electing someone with the process of getting legislation or policy passed um, so that we are doing the thing, which is, you know, uh, importantly holding people accountable, but also making sure that we have people's backs once they get into office and we're not just sort of abdicating um, our power or ceding our power to them. We still have power once the election is over. Yeah. So I, I think I've done a show on this before about holding people accountable, but I feel like I need to just do a refresher on that because there's also, you know, the other nuances that come um, into play of people not wanting to embarrass the person who's, you know, been elected and, you know, sort of understanding all of that nuance. And, and then sometimes they're just making poor choices and, mm -hmm. you know, you, yeah. you need to remind them, you know, why they were elected in the first place. So right. um, definitely, you know, you don't enter this trying to save your feelings. So <laughs> I don't think you need to necessarily spare people who are representing you, that's right. their feelings. I just like, you ain't coming for their mama or nothing. You coming right. for what you owed. So that's right. <laughs> like, that's right. work on that. You, we had an agreement, right? Like right. We, we had, we here. sent you here and you wow. said you were going to do X. We had some expectations and, so and you got to do it. Right. Yeah. right, right. Adrian, thank you so much for making time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so glad to see you. And thanks to all of you for making it to class this morning for our conversation. I want to give a personal shout out to all of the folks at Black Pack who hit them streets, who hit knocked those doors um, to do the work that Black Pack does to politically empower Black folks across the country. Personal shout out to y'all. I know that is hard work, but it's also rewarding work and work that I miss, which is the reason why I am engaging in Brooklyn NAACP and doing that work once again of going out and hitting the streets to organize in our community. So shout out to y'all for doing that work long term. 
And for those of you, I just want to take a moment and say, those of you who voted for Sunday Civics and the Image Awards, who called, emailed, texted, all different things. Um, People were walking up to me in the street talking about they was voting for the show. I really, really appreciate that. And more than the vote for the Image Awards, which believe me, I really, really appreciate. And we didn't win. The Daily Show beat us, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But more important than that, more important than the trophy was the amount of people who reached out, who stopped me in the street to talk about how they listen to the show, how it gives them the power, the tools, the information necessary for them to be engaged in their local community and, you know, didn't see a pathway before, whether it was local politics or national politics, to be involved in the process And I am beyond ecstatic. It means so much more than a trophy that the goal that I had for the show, like we're meeting that, (laughs) that means so much to me. And I am so appreciative of Karen. Um, I'm so appreciative of Clay, of Reese, Laree, everybody who continue to push the show, to support the show. I really, really appreciate your shout outs and your engagement. I hear (laughs) y'all. And I wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you who participated in that. And we have so much more. And as we are booking the next couple of episodes going into the spring and summer, I want to hear from more of y'all. I want you to be on these airwaves sharing how you are engaging what work you are doing. So feel free to reach out to us so that you can be part of future shows and future conversations about civic engagement and how to empower uh, regular people who ain't political strategists, who aren't political consultants and pollsters to be involved in the process. So thank you so much. We'll be back next Sunday with more Sunday civics, more civics that you can use to get civically engaged. Have a great one.